Hello and welcome to Credit Shift News and Update. This week, I'm still Paul Sweeney, co-founder and chief strategy officer here at Webio, and I'm joined by my colleague, uh, Cormac O'Neill, co-founder and CEO of Webio. And today we will be exploring some of the recent news stories, events, reports, trends in the credit industry. Let's dive into the details. This week in general credit industry news. There's been some promising developments in the UK's economic landscape. According to the latest data from the British Retail Consortium, there's good news regarding inflation, especially in the food sector. Between August and September, food price inflation showed a significant decline, dropping from 11.5% to 9.9%, mar- marking its lowest point since August 2022. This indicates a positive trend for consumers' wallets. Additionally, shop price inflation also saw a decline, decreasing from 6.9% to 6.2%, reaching its lowest levels since September last year. Non-food inflation followed suit, easing from 4.7% to 4.4%. Shifting our focus to the housing market, Nationwide's latest house price index reveal a year-on-year drop of 5.3% in UK house prices for September. This figure is in line with previous month's performance, which was roughly similar. There was also a month-on-month decline of approximately 0.8%. Now, let's consider the affordability for first-time house buyers. For someone earning an average income and looking to purchase the typical first-time buyer home with a 20% deposit, they would spend 38% of their take-home pay on the monthly mortgage payment. This is notably higher than the long-term average of 29%. So in conclusion, we're seeing some positive trends in food and shop price inflation. The housing market is showing some interesting dynamics, hopefully adjusting a little. The drop in house prices and the affordability challenges for first-time buyers suggests there's probably more long-term adjustment to happen. It's a situation worth keeping our eye on continuously. Cormac, is any of this ringing bells or looking more positive or negative for you? Yeah, Paul, so um, it's looking more positive. Uh, I think when I look at the opening bit of that in relation to inflation and seeing that drop a little bit, so perhaps we're seeing, I don't know, perhaps we're seeing um, some light at the end of the tunnel here in terms of interest rate increases. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but was last month's letter that I got for an increase in my tracker mortgage the last one for a while? I certainly hope so. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, I don't want to be seeing that, you know, you're just getting another 50 quid onto your mortgage letter. Um, so hopefully that's that cycle has come to an end. And the next cycle, well, obviously it's going to be a pause for a while, I would imagine. Um, and hopefully we go into some, some kind of a decline um, in rates. I guess the house price decrease, I'm not an economist by any stretch of the imagination, but does that kind of make sense if finance is becoming harder to get um, and less affordable, that dampens demand, I guess, and less demand for for homes, prices start to fall. So, um, you know, uh, that's my uneducated uh, look on that one. 38% of your take-home pay on a mortgage that's pretty big, all right, yeah. That's pretty big, no doubt about it. We we keep on forgetting these long term metrics that were always there, like a third, a third, a third, 
you know, there's like ways of calculating how much you should be paying for a house, like double or was it double your mortgage or double your combined income was yeah. the number. Like if you've got 20 grand or 20 grand as a yeah, household it's, it's, income, that's 40 grand. You shouldn't be borrowing more than a hundred grand, say, or buying a house for more than a hundred grand. Yeah. Well, look, I, I guess, you know, if you're spending that much on your mortgage, that leaves less disposable income. If you've got less disposable income, you're buying less. If you're buying less, inflation starts to come down. If inflation starts to come down, interest rates start to come down and the whole cycle begins again. I guess that's the, that's what we're looking at here. Okay. I, I, I think this is going to link to some other um, figures later on. We might come back to sure. it. So moving on to the next section, we normally look at some buy now, pay later, industry demographics, what's happening with Apple. So let's dig into that. About 70% of UK adults are currently using credit and almost half, 48% to be precise, don't clear their full balance each month. So according to Credit Karma, 17% are only making the minimum payments. If you're one of them, you should know how a poor credit score could cost you up to 272 thousand pounds in extra interest over your lifetime that's pretty phenomenal like when you when you look at the cost of of your bad credit score not having a good credit score is very expensive and many immigrants have to start from scratch when building their credit score so hsbc uk and nova credit are doing something about that particular fact. They're launching a credit card aimed at immigrants, allowing them to leverage their credit history from 12 eligible countries, including India, the US and the Philippines. It's a first for UK banks and could help newcomers sidestep some serious financial barriers and taking a step towards better financial help. Help, I should say. Switching gears, WageStream, a financial well-being app, has acquired Kibo. Why does this matter? Kibo was the UK's first credit card company to use open banking data, not just credit scores, to approve customers. WageStream already offers budgeting and early wage access to millions of users. With Kibo's tech, they aim to offer credit building tools as well, targeting an estimated 5 million UK residents who currently lack credit histories and access to traditional financial services. Finally, let's dive into high-impact collaboration. SAP, Pioneer, and MasterCard. They're focusing on B2B embedded payments, bringing specialized financial services into different parts of the supply chain. Early targets for this innovation are fintechs, banks, especially those grappling with the international complexities that we were speaking about in previous episodes. I think these advancements underscore the rapid innovation in the financial sector, There's a particular focus on inclusion and efficiency, and the integration of AI across these platforms could further streamline these processes. I think this is interesting, Cormac, in terms of looking at underlying trends of fairness, um, of being uh, uh, international labor, traveling, emigration, um, uh, uh, moving money across borders is still a problem raising finance to do international business and having that financed is a problem. I think this is a really interesting um, uh, interesting development. 
Yeah, it's it, it's gotten easier over the years, is what I'd say there. But yeah, no, it definitely is. I want to just go back to the to the starter poll, like the the that eye catching figure um, in terms of the importance of your credit score, the two hundred seventy two k. Um, so I guess the logic there is the lower your credit score, the more interest you're paying for whatever loans you're, you're taking out, mortgages, credit cards, et cetera, et cetera. I guess, I guess that's where that number is getting built up. So it kind of just brings it home to you, the importance of your credit score. So on that, right, I have a, I have a newsflash for you. I was buying something online um, last week and I got to the checkout and um, lo and behold, Clarida popped up. Uh, do you want to pay with clarinet and you know what i said you know what i'm gonna do this to see what the experience is like right so um i signed up i said yeah let's let's go with clarinet and i gotta tell you what an easy experience that was right so to split it wasn't it wasn't a large ticket item at all i can't remember maybe it was 175 or something right but um three simply easy payments um, I was approved in seconds, uh, absolutely seconds, right? Um, now, uh, which was great, right? And no problem. And why wouldn't you do it when you think about it, right? Three easy payments, no cost to me, no interest, but, you know, as far as I could see anyway. So brilliant, really digital, you know, fantastic, right? I was saying, okay, I can see why these guys, these buy now, pay later providers are all growing. Um, now you do have to be careful because you might go to the next thing you're buying and go, oh, I'll pay for Clarina with that as well. And before you know it, you've bought five items on Clarina and next minute, uh, next month, you got this big payment that you weren't expecting. Um, so you definitely, I can see why this thing could become a problem for people, no doubt. But I just want to go back to the experience. Brilliant, right? Digital, fantastic. Just the other day, I got a letter in the post from Clara. Why am I getting the letter in the post? Right. I've just had a superb digital experience. And this letter comes in going, you know, I don't know, welcome to Clara, yada, yada, yada. That is like, or, yeah, yeah. You know, why do you send me an email? <laughs> why are you going to the trouble of sending me a letter? So, anyway, I just thought it was, and I just did it for just to see what the experience was, was like. So, um, there's a number of, uh, points around that. So firstly, um, as people's situation, personal situation worsens, the state of their credit deteriorates, their ability to uh, get approved for, let's just call it tier one loans, their good value, their good interest rate, yeah. etc. And so what's happening is um, people are not getting approved at the higher level at those higher quality products, and they're coming down to buy now, pay later. And they get approved and they're able to buy their their product. And so what's happening to the buy now, pay later is they're swelling. The ranks of the people using it are swelling, but also there's better quality um, uh, uh, creditors coming into it or debtors coming into it. So like someone like yourself, who is, you know, not wealthy but you're you're doing okay and you'll be able to pay that loan back you're a higher quality person you've just come into their funnel now and you're a higher quality credit yeah. customer for them and that seems to be a trend that's happening in buy now pay later as well as it's not just people who can't get a loan anywhere else who are doing it there's higher um people better credit uh limits so that's that's one thing i would mention on that um 
I think that mostly, mostly people tend to stay on top of their buy now, pay laters, and they don't tend to mount as costs. So, you know, at a macro level, it's not as big a problem as credit cards are, uh, you know, staying on top of credit card debt, for instance. Um, but I think that, and the final point, actually, you're making about why send a letter. Now, we're, we're Webio, we're all about digital and digitizing your stuff, right? It's going to be very interesting to see why people send letters. And I have a theory on this, and we'll come to it in the next section. So I'll come back on that. I do agree with you in terms of, um, you know, I would certainly use that again, right? I, I'm Look, I'm not going to go and use Clarina tomorrow and have another monthly thing coming out. But I would certainly, if I'm at the point of purchase and, you know, I've cleared my last three, you know, it's free finance, right? It's to, it, the cost to me, unless I'm missing something, I don't think I am. The cost to me is zero. So why wouldn't I hold on to that, you know, extra 50 quid a month um, instead of giving it over to, to the retailer? So I would certainly use it again um, uh, in my next, if it popped up again, I was buying something and, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy large, high, high ticket items on it, but just, you know, those kind of mid-tier things that, hey, you know, I just don't want that coming out of my monthly account this month. I've got to split it in three. Yeah, certainly, certainly appealing. So I get what you're saying there. Yeah. Well, it is, it does flatten out your payments if you're hitting yeah. limits on your account as well. And you're looking at your safety cash and going, look, I always like to have a certain amount of money in my account to cover unexpected situations, yeah. whatever that amount is. You might want control over the flow of money coming out of your account. And that sense of control is the psychological product. And because you feel more in control, you feel enabled to buy the product. Like if you didn't feel psychologically safe with that spare cash you had in your account, your, your deposit account, you wouldn't make that purchase. So without buy now, pay later, you wouldn't make the purchase. You're yeah. that example of a customer there. Okay, very good. Okay, so moving on, uh, section three here this week, we like to draw, or this part of our uh, podcast, we like to draw your attention to different pieces of research that we've connected to. The Harvard Business Review's latest findings on AI and customer interaction are highly relevant in our domain. Particularly noteworthy is the study's insight into loan approval processes. The data shows that people generally don't react negatively when an automated system declines their application. However, they do prefer a human touch when the decision is positive. It seems the human element can significantly boost customer satisfaction in the approval scenarios. The study also emphasizes the importance of conversational interaction. People prefer human-like engagement over purely digital communication, regardless of the outcome. This could indicate a strategic edge for companies that successfully integrate conversational AI platforms in customer-facing processes. Another interesting point is the positioning of AI in products or services that carry symbolic or identity value. The perception of a human-crafted product varies significantly from that of a mass-produced one. For example, a handcrafted pair of Italian glasses is still seen as high value identity building, even if it incorporates advanced technology like laser cut Zeiss lenses with all these chemical coatings on them, the perception of the product is still, it's a human made, it's man made, it's manual, it's cut, cut artisanally in Italy. 
In summary, while automation and AI can streamline processes and make them more efficient, this should not entirely replace the human element, especially in sectors where the personal touch and identity symbolism are high-stake factors. This alignment is particularly critical when the product or service carries that identity and symbolic value um, as the perception changes depending on whether it's handcrafted or just a process. So it's clear that companies should be integrating AI to strike a balance. Automation can handle the routine data-heavy tasks, but human intervention would remain crucial for decisions that impact customers on an emotional or symbolic level. It's not just about the automation, it's about smart automation that's sensitive to the nuances of human psychology and social values. I can see that this is resonating with you already, Cormac. <laughs> um, it, it just builds into that point about why the letter comes in your door. I think companies are going to feel the need to show up in your world physically. Like there's going to be artifacts around you. There's going to be letters. There's going to be things um, from companies because they need to be real to you in some way. And I I think that's um, an interesting example of that letter arrives. You feel some further connection with the company maybe. Yeah, I think you you could be you could be on point there, Paul, in terms of why they send out the letter. Um, you know, uh, that kind of makes sense. It is another touch point. Um, you know, maybe they're legally obliged to send me the letter. I, I don't know. That could that could be it too. Um, but I, I agree. Look, people like to feel like they've been listened to, right? So we all like to be listened to, don't we? Um, and I guess if you have that more human type interaction. Um, you feel like you're being listened to, where if it's robotic, you probably don't. But the, however, I would say there, and I just want to relate it to our own industry, right? So, so we know in our industry in credit collections, particularly for inbound contacts. So if I want to reach into a, a company that I owe money to and get an answer to a question, like we know that about 40% of inbound contact can be covered by kind of like three to four queries that people have. And they're very basic. It's, you know, when's my next payment due? What's my account balance? How much am I overdue? How much do I owe you today? So these are very straightforward black and white questions. And users just want the answer to them, right? So as long as they get the answer to those questions, whether it's done, you know, in a human type way, wrapped up in, in roses, it doesn't really matter. Or whether it's done robotically, you know, here's your balance, Cormac. This is when your your next payment is due, um, and this is the outstanding amount. You know, happy days, and we know that that works really, really well. Yes, when you get into the other queries, if it's you know people are looking for loans or they want to reschedule loans or whatever it might be outside of those those black and white ones, you got to be more human like on those, um, and indeed probably have a, a a human response. So. So what you've said there really resonates in terms of what we're seeing in in, in our own industry, you know. So I th- I think it's really uh, interesting. Like we have some internal research on the um, ability to sense what's happening in a conversation using conversational AI mm. and figure out what people are reaching into about, and it's surprising. Um, for certain of our customers that there was something like 40% of the topics that were in the inbound, they had no idea that people were contacting them on that channel for. Yeah. So I think that's one of the the vectors in conversational is that it may make you aware of things that are 
your customers want to talk to you about, but you you just weren't capturing them somewhere. Um, and we had a great conversation in our last interview with um, uh, Daniel from uh, uh, X Deloitte, and he was saying that one of the big things about um, inbound was the disambiguation at the front end. It's the triage. It's figuring out what exactly is someone trying to contact you about. That's, that's it. Break, breaking that into intents. Yeah. It's specifically mentioned intents. And then routing based on those intents. Intent-based routing is, is the phrase. And it said just doing that um, delivers so much value to companies, particularly companies at scale. So like the things we're talking about, uh, these these aren't um, they're not nuclear physics, but they are difficult. And you do have to pay attention to the detail, detail, detail every day to make sure that that disambiguation works properly, that it's capturing the way conversations evolve and move, and Perfect. that it's rooted in a way that's intelligent. And that isn't something that will catch the world of, um, of uh, you know, AI able to read a car and give you a description of when it was born in all its parts and turn it into an elephant, you know, with the AI that's uh, doing the rounds on social media. But in large companies, this stuff, doing the basics well, is is going to make a big difference still. Yeah, massively, massively. Again, relating to our own industry, we know that the climate that's out there at the moment is um, putting more and more people into into financial difficulty, which is resulting in an increase in contact into financial services sector. How do you deal with that increase? Traditionally, they've used human resources. You got to bring people in, you got to train them up, you got to get them ready. If you can automate as much of that inbound contact as you possibly can, it takes the pressure off your team uh, in the background to handle, you know, the other 60% of queries that are coming in. And as you said, it, it, it is stuff. It, it isn't rocket science. It is understanding the intent. We've said it on this show before that people contact companies for a reason. They're not doing it because they're bored and they want to chat. They're doing it because they've got a, uh, a question to be answered. And if you can figure out what that intent is up front, you're off to a great start. Indeed. The, the second report that uh, drew our attention this a week was from Lightspeed Ventures, an American VC. And they called the next evolution in consumer fintech the sophistication era, marking a transition from web and mobile to an AI-driven landscape. So the focus now is not just on basic account and payment solutions. The fastest growing categories are wealth management, consumer spending, and super apps, which will enable more nuanced financial activities like retirement planning, wealth transfer, and complex tax strategies. The average American juggles between five and seven debit and six to eight credit cards. So we we got that from uh, Sean O'Toole when he was on our podcast too. What consumers are now looking for are solutions that can answer specific questions like, what are the two most impactful steps to improve my financial situation? Or what is my total expenditure across all my accounts this month? Platforms that overlay across credit cards, personal debts, and monthly bills are poised to deliver more advanced services like spending controls, debt recovery, and subscription management. Lightspeed identifies four areas where fintechs can achieve a cost advantage. Cost to acquire, cost to underwrite, cost to service, 
and cost of capital. The most significant shift is happening in the cost-to-service sector due to the application of generative AI. From automated debt recovery calls to capital markets benchmarking, AI is slashing the cost of goods sold by 30 to 80% across the board. Now, this aligns with our internal analysis and independent studies commissioned by us about the effect of the AI on the customer service area. The integration of advanced AI and machine learning is not only going to cost, cut costs, but enable a more dynamic, responsive service, providing users with complex financial insights and tools. And we saw this in the McKinsey report we reported on in an earlier credit shift news update where they were talking about companies that were the leaders in their sector, the, the, the ones doing the most innovative things, being the most successful, given the biggest return on investment. Those companies weren't just using it to cut costs. They were using it to generate whole new lines of business or to automate entire processes out of the way so they could move forward as a company. I, I find this, again, very interesting to see that the generative AIs and the customer service area is still front and center in terms of the strategic implications of where you focus your time and effort on acquiring, on servicing, the cost of your debt. AI is really going to drive each of those uh, a little bit different in each of those areas. But I think um, I'd be, I'd be, if I was putting that on my strategic radar, I'd be trying to figure out how I can align my AI initiatives under each of those factors and figure out how I can uh, get programs in each of those boxes and try and move the needle. Um, Cormac, does any of that kind of resonate with kind of things we've seen? I think we've kind of touched on it already there on the last the last discussion uh, uh, around the the automating of those forty percent of of inbound queries. You know that's kind of like the almost the low hanging fruit, but with the maximum impact straight away on uh, on our customers to be able to use AI to um, service those type of queries. I think you are alluding to one of our customers who. Um, found out that was it I don't know was it 35 between 35 and 40% of the queries related to people require are asking about new loans wasn't it new new lines of credit new loans um so being able to, again going back to the the intent being able to understand what that intent is you can take those you know, queries out of, say, like the collections channel and put them into the new business channel automatically. So they're getting, they're getting serviced a, a lot quicker, right? So I think, you know, that's, that's worth a lot to, to, to companies to be able to do that and make sure that to get to those type of, of customers a lot, a lot sooner. Um, the sophistication era, I'm reading that, uh, or hearing that for the first time, um, might take a little bit of time for that one to sink in. Um, is 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 that a, is that going to become a thing? The sophisticated era. It, it doesn't. It doesn't ring for me. But the, what I like about the what I, <laughs> it's it's not exactly great branding. But what yeah. I like about the the initiative is it draws your attention to. I think that services are going to be more complex. Um, it's not just 
pay your bill or it's not just about I need to deposit money or move money from one account to another. AI is going to drive much more sophisticated processes for people. Um, and what Lightspeed were drawing the attention to is um, it's the higher net worth individuals who are mm-hmm. really driving the new fintech area. And why I like to keep an eye on it is it's a trend. Like the VC money flows towards areas in advance of those True. markets kind of yeah. maturing. And so for people listening to the podcast, they don't always get the opportunity to scan that landscape. So just bring a bit of news every week on what's getting funded from the VC world kind of alerts you to what's going on in the industry and what might be on the horizon. So from that, it's like maybe the step back and think about it moment is, are, are there sophisticated customers in our, uh, in our customer portfolio? Are there some customers that are maybe better off, have more, um, uh, more assets and more things that need to be managed? And can we maybe give them AI-driven products that we, we couldn't before, like we wouldn't be able to make an assessment about their, um, their need for international transfers or their need to finance international business or to underwrite it or insure it because we're not in that conversation with them. Maybe there's some customers where there's an opportunity to do something like that. AI is going to make that addressable now because the cost of it uh, is, is, is just going to be one of those curves that goes down and just makes things available to you that weren't before. Um, I think uh, finally, in just some of the um, LLM news, um, Visa is making a strategic play in generative AI. It's launched a $100 million VC fund through its Visa Ventures arm. Given the valuations of OpenAI and Anthropic, it's a signal, again, to pay attention to how much capital other VCs allocate to this space. For Visa, this is a calculated method to understand potential disruption. Um, and, you know, they're used to bringing people in and partnering with them to find out what's going on in the industry. Can we partner and learn from these startups that are fast moving? And this is, as, as well as being a good investment, it's also a way for the company to learn. And I think the MasterCard and SAP pioneer relationship, them getting together, that's really about um, them looking at the global, the two global networks, like SAPs and so many utilities, they're in so many ERP functions, they're tracking product probably globally in all these companies. And what if using MasterCard and Finear, you were able to not only buy these products, but you were able to get them insured, you were able to pay for them in parts, you had to buy now, pay later for your company's B2B interactions. And that's a really interesting sector that's starting to really open up. It's not just buy now, pay later for an individual like yourself. It's companies being able to use these as if they've gone online to buy something. And now they're in the flow of digital interaction. And now they're able to go, oh, I didn't realize I could get that insured. Or maybe I could um, get that financed a little bit differently than I did before. And now I have options to do that. And SMEs in particular don't have the resources to go and, you know, evaluate all the different options and figure out who the providers are across Europe for all this. 
having those options provided in the flow in their payment provider, like if they're getting services from MasterCard anyway, this is a great opportunity for them to um, get access to finance. So I, I think it's a, a really great example of partnering, um, partnering to open up new markets, leveraging both of your core competences in a new and creative fashion. Um, so I think there's a lot of legs in this. I would agree, Paul. Um, that's an interesting one with the uh, the SME sector um, and the the ability to access kind of like buy now, pay later financing. Um, you know, I'm just thinking. You know, traditionally, if you wanted to buy some hardware, you'd you'd use a, a leasing company, and there's a lot of work in putting that together, yeah. a lot of paperwork. Yeah. Whereas, if you could just do that while you're directly in the um, in the stream that you're in and do it through a buy now pay later, maybe not three months, but six or whatever, that might be a very interesting space to look at. Um, I think was it uh, Visa you said put together a hundred million dollar mm. fund to invest in LLMs. So what's that going to fund? See capital for one startup? Is that it? The way the, <laughs> the, way the, uh, the, the way the, the way these funding rounds are going at the minute, that might be, you know, half a funding round. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting the uh y- you know i i personally i think we're there at the markets topped out on llms in terms of how much you can you can possibly um value them at i mean open ai at 90 billion it's like like if it, you know it seems crazy to us but cormac i've been around the block a little bit um mm-hmm. and i remember when Google came out and it was 40 some $40 a share and everyone $40 are you crazy like these guys are barely making money um uh you know and sure. it, they'd have to make money for 90 years and accelerate that but you know what uh, people who yeah. understood what Google would would become made out like bandits with with that initial investment um, because their core theory turned out to be true. And the same with Amazon's core theory turned out to be true. So if, if you'd put your money in there, you, you, you'd have done very well. I think what's happened is um, the, the, the subscription numbers for OpenAI were much stronger than anyone anticipated. Like we're paying money every month to them to pay for their service. Yeah. And that's been really helpful to them. And now they have to prove that companies will embed the open AI service into other services and pay them a subscription or pay them uh, transaction fees or license fees. So that's the next step. It's like, does that happen for them? But I think uh, just on the models, paying that kind of money for models, I think we're, we're topped out at that now. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay, Cormac, it's been great having you back. Um, great to be back, Paul. Great to be back. Yeah, it's great to do the rundown at the end of the week and gives us an opportunity to step back and have a look at it ourselves, have a little chat about it. So I'd like to thank everyone who's joined us today to uh, for joining us and listening to us talk about this. I hope it's been of some use and that you can use it and bring it back to your own business. Don't forget to check out Credit Shift uh, next week and subscribe to it. And also check out webio.com where we regularly update the website to let you know what's going on with the Webio crew. 